Hello everyone, we're back for summer part two, so you can, or summer bi-weekly five part two, I should say, so that you can hear the rest of what we're watching. Alright, so who is next after that really intense stuff on the centaurs? Well, I think that's back over to me. Um, so the second show I'm watching, uh, Shikoku no Altair, uh, continues on its way, but holy jeebus, they have like decided to cram so many characters and so much story into the last... Uh, two or three episodes i think i'm on um was it 10 and 11 and like in the span of those two episodes they have introduced at least four new major characters and like half a dozen other like secondary and tertiary characters now are they going for broke dan or are you a 24 episoder i don't i have no idea at this point i'm willing to bet this is going to be longer but i don't recall it's, it's uh, gonna have to be longer if they yeah i was like it's either gonna have to be longer or it's gonna end on that stupid like go read the manga well it, the, it is nonsense. so clearly made for people who understand the manga because they are throwing out proper nouns like it was going out of fashion like it was going out of Symfo gear is uh, what you mean you see the things with the thing is that Symfo gear like most of the terms that they use are like translated into english or given some kind of you know generalist name that you can at least kind of get an idea like divine power and whatnot this it's just it's nothing but ranks and proper titles in what i'm assume is supposed to be turkish and i cannot oh, okay, i okay. cannot tell what yeah, like is it's, a, it's the it's the balaban of like like turkey like ishmael or whatever like who is that and there's important yeah and there's like at least three or four different uh three or four different names for like the greater uh turkey uh empire because it's got like four other sultanates outside of the main uh nation and that's where all these new names are coming from. yeah all of these new names are get are coming from there because our hero and his uh entourage have just arrived just arrived in one of these places because they're refusing to partner with his nation, the big one, uh, to oppose the totally not Germany empire. Because, you know, they got they just ran roughshod over their last major uh, conquest and are just really quickly gobbling up the entirety of the uh, area around their equivalent to the Mediterranean. So, a united... So, Dan, would you say that you're like impressed by their knowledge of turkish terms or were they did they just like do some wikipedia action in a hurry and are throwing them out there i don't know enough about the actual terms and language to say whether it's good or not i mean on the one hand i like the idea that we can be uh immersed in all of this but the problem is that they've started throwing them at us so fast that i cannot keep up it, it and... does seem consistent though like i'll give them yeah. that it's consistent, but again, like, we are, everything in this show is now happening super fast. It is smashing from one, like, scene and point of view to another. And that's where I think the show is kind of, kind of falling down a bit. Because for the beginning, it definitely, like, got a lot of things in a row really quickly. Like, it's like, all right, we're going to establish what's going on. This dude's going to be traveling around and, you know, learning about all of these nations and hopefully thwarting the empire and everything. And then in the middle, it kind of slowed down a little bit. We got an entire, like, two episodes to devote to one conflict. And now it's back to, man, we got to get this going. We got to get this going. The uh, the Empire is, like, <laughs> sending all we, of these... We have these... to simultaneously topple the leadership of four countries. Oh, yeah. So we have now split our party into, like, the older and experienced guys, the younger ones, and then, like, the tertiary characters. 
Oh, God. And it's just... You guys can't see my face, but I'm just, like, making the funniest faces at the mic right now. Because you guys just say stuff, and I'm like, huh? What? Really? Okay? Like, On the one wow. hand, yeah. I, like, I like am... ambition. In... I'll give the show credit for ambition, I suppose. I would agree with that. It's not ambition. I am impressed with the amount of stuff they're trying to tackle, but the problem is, is that they have not paced themselves well. Either they are rushing to get to a midpoint that they need to be at before the, before the second half, or they just have no idea of how they're going to pace this out, and that's starting to worry me. Because... I feel like they do want to get to, like, it's, okay, like, we're ready for Turkey versus not Germany. Like, they want to be at that point when the show ends, it feels like. I suppose so, but it feels like in that case they should have paced themselves out differently. They should have, uh... Well, they should have... well it's too late for that now, so we got a smash cut. True enough. And the other thing that's bugging me is one of uh, uh, the main character's new um, companions, this guy he picked up in a city very much like Venice, um, this guy is supposed to be some sort of mercenary captain, so he's, you know, very skilled and uh, generally good at fighting, which is fine, but he is so good that he is able to, at one point he says, I think I can take out 50 guys, and it's like, you know, we're talking like Princess Bride levels of like that. That there, it was supposed to be humorous. Here, he is saying it with absolute seriousness. See, Brendan, where are you? You're supposed to be like that's Utawaru. Yeah, I was just gonna say Utawaruumano level of nonsense. That was insert, that was Scott Sue. Insert deal with it. I didn't no, watch you, the second one. Not the second one. The first one, Kirara. Well, 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 Kirara could personally probably take out. Who a could personally dudes, so take out like a hundred dudes by herself? Well, yes, but she didn't make a big deal out of it, or at least not as much as the the guys in the second series did. Yeah, there was that quote. They're like, "I can each we can each take out a thousand guys," and they weren't kidding. I was like, "All right, really?" And I mean, fair enough. They're like superhuman animal people. Like this is just a dude. Like, okay, I get it. You've trained for a long time to be this way, but he's also he's so. He's one of those guys that just kind of smiles cavalier. all the time. He's cavalier about it. I guess, yeah. And uh, he he has no other personality other than being, like, superlatively skilled at everything he does. It's obscene. So It sounds like, like they've got two of those now, right? Because there's, like, super de-duper uh, strategy guy on the enemy team. You guys were talking about it last Minister time. Minister Louie. Whoa, yeah. Yeah, he basically just, he, he has a secret, like, uh, commando force that is just able to infiltrate and take, uh, and basically take over any kingdom they want at any point they want with absolutely no opposition. No one has yet made it, managed to put up any kind of a fight to them. And I understand that some of this is because of, like, you know, economic pressure or they're promising them protection or all these other things, but not a single one of these nations so far has said, you know what? No, this is it's like this is Wait an a minute, act of... what about Phoenicia? Phoenicia was like two episodes about where they're like, you know what? No. Well, that's the thing, though. They they responded to direct like diplomatic overtures and, and like open threats. Like these four kingdoms are all being essentially puppeteered behind the scenes by yes. these uh, by these secret agents. Right. You know, not that I should be making this statement with only two examples, but I'm going to anyway, just for, for fun and for argument's sake. Sometimes I'm, it makes me wonder if, like, Japan doesn't quite know how to do, like, subtlety in certain things, and so they have to amp up the volume to so nonsense to make it interesting. Like, you're reminding me a lot of Saki, 
where they're like, well, we don't think a show about girls playing Mahjong would be interesting. So we're going to give them all absolutely <laughs> bull honkery superpowers that couldn't possibly exist in Mahjong. And that's going to make the show interesting. Now, to be fair, it does. But <laughs> the point is that they're like, I don't think like a super political war between nations is interesting. So we're going to amp it up by putting in like super cavalier fighter guy and ultimate strategy man and just all this nonsense that sounds like it's doing nothing but making like tilting the show out of. I guess some degree of believability you had when you started? That's not entirely inaccurate. Like, at the beginning, it was like, okay, like, this is, you know, this is fantasy light. There's no, like, magic or craziness, but, you know, people are, you know, more skilled or more, you know, kind of swashbuckly than normal, but it was still within the realm of at least reasonable believability. Now we're starting to approach a little bit of craziness. Hmm. So, Dan, I guess I'm curious, because a lot of what you said has been, like, pseudo-negative. So what, besides I've made it this far and must know the finale, what keeps you, like, still watching the show? Like, what are the good parts you've drawn out of it? I am legitimately curious about how it's all going to turn out, because it seems like the deck is stacked so heavily on the side of the Empire right now that I cannot imagine how even a unified uh, Turkish state is going to be able to oppose them. So I'll be interested to see what bullhunkery they have to pull off in order for this to work. I think it's also good, like, the main character has been developing through the show and not in a completely unrealistic manner, at least in my opinion. I suppose so, but he suddenly took a really murdery twist. Like, Well, yeah, over the course of the nowhere. show, he's, he sort of started as a pacifist and over time... No, but the example of Phoenicia, I think, like, he was starting to be like, we need to actually fight. I meant and now he's like, definitely, like, all the bloodlust. Like, we have I, to yeah. fight. I meant, like, on a personal level, not just like, oh, okay, we have, to, we have to fight these other... We have to fight these other countries. Sometimes, you know, war in order to save people is necessary. No, this time he's like, if I ever meet this Minister Louis, I will literally tear him limb from limb. Like, well, he's oh. watching a guy kill everyone and destroy everything, so... I don't know. I, I kind of so. buy it. I suppose uh, so. I mean, I haven't seen it, but it sounds a little extreme. It has definitely, it has definitely uh, cranked itself up. There is no subtlety in this show whatsoever. Yeah, and I remember you mentioning that last time. Yeah. Again, not terrible, just, like, really, really busy and really uh, in serious. a hurry to get wherever it's going. Yeah, very serious. Not much levity. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So that took way too long. Well, I'll see what I can do to, to pick it up with some quick action here with the Knights and Magic. Go, the Knights! So let's see, uh, I think last time we'd mentioned, like, it's time for this big war. They'd sort of push back Zaladek, and now it's time for the counterattack. So, uh, you know, he's saying, the, the, whatever, the side we're following has all the cool mechs, the other side has flying ships, uh, which no one else can make. So he builds a bunch of special weapons that can take them out, like... Uh, Basically missiles and stuff, like kind of missiles with tow wires on that can pull them down. Uh, they 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 sort of they kill the enemy prince who refuses to surrender and goes down with his ship. Uh, but then the great genius of the enemy side retaliates by building like a massive sky, like flying battleship in the shape of a dragon. Uh, and so for episode twelve, so I'm covering episodes eleven and twelve. Uh, the first half of episode twelve is devoted pretty much entirely to the battle of Ernesti and his super robot versus the Drake like this massive battleship thing. And uh, they, it basically ends in a stalemate. Like the dragon runs out of energy and 
has to return home, but uh, Ernesti is not really able to damage it in any significant way. Now that's a shocker, because I did mention last time I was worried the show was basically, like, Tenchi Ernesti. I mean, it's it's close, but they finally had, like, hey, there's this genius on the other side, and the whole war is going to be about them two. And they're finally, like, they are putting something into that. Like, the second half of the episode is basically both sides coming up with counter-strategies for what they just saw in the battle they encountered. So the one guy's like, we're going to put even more power into the Drake and find a way to take him down. And Ernesti's like, you know, they tried some some neat trick and I'm going to find a way to counter it. And So it's kind of interesting watching the two of them. And it is good that he really has a challenge. Uh, it's interesting to watch. I mean, obviously, you kind of know the outcome. Like, of course, Ernesti's going to win. Uh, but finally, he's being challenged. Uh, in traditional Ernesti style, however, he's most concerned that if giant flying battleships win the battle, like if he loses and can't beat it up, the future of warfare will be towards ever larger weapon systems, and his precious mecha will be left in the dust as a relic of history. So he has to prevent this from coming to pass. Oh man, nothing like absolute selfishness to motivate you to uh, fight the bad guys. Yeah, I'm actually kind of impressed, because like, I would have thought he would have had a really like selfless motive, and instead it's just all about him all day long. Oh no, the whole show has been like, why do you want to learn how to build mechs? It's my hobby and I love mecha. Why do you want our reactor, secret reactor technology? Because I want to build my own mech, just yeah, the way I like, like it. Selfish on a closed off level, you can't hurt anyone. Now it's like... This war could kill tons of people, and this the, like the Drake could take over and just shoot mechs out of its floating thing and kill this town. That's fine. My pride's on the line, and my design is on the line here. I gotta win. I need to win for the future, the, the nature of future warfare. I mean, he don't don't get me wrong. Like he does, he is working with the kingdoms and helping to defend them and keeping people safe and all this other stuff. Like he's not a monster, but he definitely has very selfish motives for where he wants warfare to go. Uh. So whatever, at least he has a different motivation than usual, even if it is a dumb one. Uh, and that's how Knights and Magic is going. So I, mean, I, I expect we're going to sort of finish up here in the next episode or two, at least with this, you know, this arc. They're going to beat up Zaladek probably. Interesting. All right, I'll uh, I guess take over for the end with Welcome to the Ballroom. So this is uh, yeah. this is a ten and eleven. Um. I discovered, by the way, I thought this was going to be like a pretty nice place to end. We end the Tempe Cup, which we've been in since episode seven. Uh, Ballroom's actually a twenty-four episoder, so dun, this dun, one dun. cascades into the next core, um, which is kind of neat. But anyway, um, so the Tempe Cup is closing out, so we get to see the results of Tatara and Mako just pouring their hearts out, desperately trying to win. Um, I, I really think 10 and 11 helped me discover what the show needs to do more of in order to really, I think, shine a bit. So one of the things that's been happening is that it's it's just been kind of pushing forward with its plot, and there hasn't really been a moment where we've 100% gotten to understand these characters. Like, they're all genuinely nice people. But on the whole, I don't know a whole lot about them aside from lead heroine is really devoted to dance. Rival guy comes from a dancer's family. Oh, Tatara, come on. These are like just yeah, the trope cutouts. Right. Yeah. It's super trope cutout. And they're lovely people, but they don't have a whole lot of like weight and depth. And the show is lacking that, that like weight. Like real motivation. 
Yeah, and so to, to give a quick example, um, the, the volleyball sports show, Haikyuu, there's a moment where this tall, like, super annoying guy, he doesn't understand why everybody on the team is always so pumped to win. He's like, guys, it's a freaking club in high school. We're all gonna grow up and move on. Why is this such a big deal, whether we win or lose? And he, they go to, like, training camp, and a lot of the other guys are like, there's gonna come a time when you are gonna feel that this is bigger than just your high school sport. And it took till season three. So we're talking like almost 35 episodes later. There's this moment he has and he just like screams on the court and he's like, yes, now I am like addicted to this feeling. So it took so many episodes for that Chekhov's gun to go off. And Ballroom doesn't have, it's not loading the Chekhov's gun. So when oh, it dear. shoots... You don't feel anything for it. So anyway, in episodes 10 and 11, the reason I give that example is because um, we get a little bit of backstory on lead heroine Shizuku and her relationship with lead rival guy Hyoto. So they are a couple, and they're like the power couple, but you get their backstory, and they are also like super-de-duper arch rivals. So they're a couple, but they're also sort of in conflict at all points in time. It's one of the reasons they... I think that's the one thing that makes them struggle, and they both don't really realize it. And then you've got um, Mako and her brother Gaju, and you finally learn, like, Mako really wanted to learn ballroom dance, and Gaju was like, uh, that's a girly thing, and she's like, please go with me. So he goes, and he gets addicted to it, because he's like into soccer and like boys sports and then he goes to one round of ballroom dance and he just gets his ass handed to him like he can't hold the poses mm -hmm. he's exhausted and he's like i am definitely going to do this <laughs> and he gets I, addicted. I could do this dang it he gets addicted and that's how he gets into dance and he's like completely and utterly overtaken his sister in terms of his obsession with dance but seeing her just like explode onto the scene and and when she took over the scene and was just blowing everyone's mind in the last episode he realizes her passion for dance is as deep as his it's just his intense personality that's been shutting her out the whole time so her shining and him finally getting to see her for who she is and how skilled she is at ballroom dance there was a payoff there and i was like that's it ballroom you need to give me that Chekhov's gun and then the payoff will be so worth it so the uh mako and and Tatara, they had learned the quick step, and we had seen them learn this special variation of quick step, and they finally got to unleash it, and it was amazing and wondrous, and we got to see the result of the Tempe Cup. Um, so they were finalists. There were seven finalists. So do you guys want to guess what? They, they danced so well, and they danced their heart out. Do you want to guess what position they came in out of seven? Third. Six. Seven. <laughs> so they, they lost they hardcore. They lost hardcore. So he dances his heart out and they lose hardcore. They come in seventh out of seven. However, I don't know if you guys remember, but I said something very important in podcast number five. It was never about the men fighting each other. It was all about the partners. You see, they give out eight awards. Seven for the couples. But the eighth one is called the Queen of the Ballroom. And it is given to the lady who took everyone's attention for it is she who is queen of the ballroom and it was the one and who got framed it was mako so she is the one who wins the round and thusly they win the bet 
Tatara and Mako, they win the bet because the real bet was, can Mako outdance Shizuku? And in the end, the answer was yes. So, yeah, kind of. Sure. Yes. So they win. They technically win in correct. That respect. So the, yes, technically correct. So the brother and sister pair get back together. I think the brother's learned he's kind of a douchebag and he needs to like actually listen to her to get her dancer side to come out. Um, and Shizuku, like there's a shot where she's crying in the bathroom and she's like, She's like holding it together the whole time and she cries. And I was like, yes, this is what the show needs more of. Just this like heart out of the character. Because that one cutaway shot shows me she's not Ice Queen, which she's basically been like throughout the show. (laughs) It's just kind of surprising it took until what, episode 10-ish? Episode 10-ish, right, to unleash this. So I was like, show, you need more of this. And it it does need more ballroom dance. Because once again, it, it pulls off this stunt where... Uh, there's there's one dance they're doing, Slow Foxtrot, where, uh, like, Shizuku and Gaju are posing, and I guess what's supposed to happen in Slow Foxtrot is that the, the man, there's supposed to be these, like, slow holds that really show off, like, how well you can hold your body, and how, how much strength you have, and there's a shot where one of the judges is like, Mm, Shizuku, you really are a devil because you are sitting there with this romantic look on your face as you are holding up the full body weight of an adult man. So she is actually supporting Gaju's weight, which is, I guess, a really big deal because she's compensating for his poor pose. And I was like, if I had known how the fo- slow foxtrot worked in the first place, if you had taught me that ahead of time, <laughs> load the Chekhov's gun, Maybe this would have meant more something impressed. to me. Yes, this would have meant something to me. Instead, I'm inferring, oh, I guess this is impressive. Thanks. Oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah. So anyway, I talked a lot about it, but the show needs to load the Chekhov's gun. Um, as with Dan's, I'm sounding very negative, but I do really genuinely like these characters. And now that they're cracking the shell on giving me a little more meat to all of them, I'm excited to see it. And it really nails that sports show aesthetic. I mean, just the guys dancing at each other with these dynamic camera angles and like swish and move and the cool music. Like they do a great job. Um, for a sports show, you really get into it, and it's it's such a unique sport. So I hope the second half really learns from these two episodes as we move into the next core. Nice, cool. All right, well that seems like it probably wraps us up, eh? Think so. It does. Boy, plenty to talk about though. Oof. Yeah, well we're nearing the end, so I think That's we're true. really like That's getting true. our solid there's, there's, impressions. There's payoff for many shows occurring, so like the. Yeah, the the endings. Which means, what, is next time going to be our last? Is that it? Possibly. We may have one more, depending on if any of these are, like, 13ers. Okay, that's that's fair. Well, look forward to it, folks. Yeah, it may drag out. All right, so until next time. See you next time, folks. This is a podcast by the Con Artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game-related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.